Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello and welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 4, season 21. I realised last week I said that the other way round and somebody actually messaged me to point out that I'd said it the other way round for the first time ever, apparently. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, I've put it back the way it should be. Um, creature habit and all that. So um, there you go. Uh, this week, uh, a busy show as ever. There is lots happening a little bit later on the podcast, but at the top of the podcast, I dragged in Trevor Agnew kicking and screaming. Hello, Trev. Hello, how are you? We're, we're alright, we're alright. The reason why I kicked you in, dragged you in kicking and screaming, of course, we did the Twitter poll. Trev, yeah. following on from last week's, yeah. Um, so, um, I think we all know what the results are deep down, but we'll, 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 we'll do it anyway. We'll do it, we'll do it anyway. I think, I think there was, um, I think the percentage was somewhere in the region of 80% of, of not going with your idea. Um, yeah, I think it was actually 75%. <laughs> Just get it right, you know. And last time I looked, anyway, of 129 people who polled, a yeah. uh, quarter of people saw a lot of sense, and the other people just you, want to you, go back you, to points you, you and carburetors. You were genuinely messaging people saying, "Make sure you vote on this. Make sure you vote." On I this. didn't. Uh, in fairness, you know, I did it just to get a, a little bit of reaction, and of course, to have uh, a, a bit of a debate around it. Um, I personally didn't have the chance to get on and 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 reply to anything. So thanks for. Everybody who replied with your viewpoint on it, I get why everybody wants to keep rallying as an endurance sport, the traditional way it was. My point is a lot of other sports have moved on. They've tried to accommodate people with less attention span, if you like. Yeah, uh, but, but, I, but can I just ask you a question on that then? Hmm. What other sports have done it? I know what sports I can think of instantly. I'm thinking probably of cricket. And snooker, they tried to do it with as well. Um, uh, I can't think of any others. Maybe golf. Has golf done something? Not really. Uh, last time I looked, uh, super, world superbikes and British superbikes. Okay. I think they have around every day, don't they? Right. Okay. Uh, okay. World rallycross, uh, yeah. recently as well. But I think that, isn't that, isn't that more of a, a racing thing anyway? Kind of heats and stuff like that. Isn't that fall more into that category? Yeah. It, <laughs> Uh, clearly, I, I outlined my reason for it, and you, and you contributed to that as well. That when we were there for one weekend, no, you did. You joined in, yeah. Uh, simply from the cost-effective point of view, and you mentioned junior uh, rally people. All I want to do is just throw some ideas out there. I, I've noticed even this morning I was reading something with promoters still looking to do sixteen rallies next year. Wow! And I just don't get my. I, I personally, I can't get my head around. It. I know the promoter needs to add as many venues as possible. Many countries to get the publicity and you know that I get all of that and I certainly wouldn't want to be in in the shoes of the people making those decisions but it's not Formula One for a start we don't have the budget that there is you know teams such as M Sport and even Toyota are kicking back against it they reckon one rally a month is enough once you go above one rally a month then you're going to have to hire in people you're going to have to stagger the staff etc etc so uh, I just wanted to just get people to think a little bit differently. You know, if we if we continue to do it, we've always done, and it's a slippery slope, I think. So. No, I, and, and listen, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, uh, funny enough, we've had an email in, which I'll be honest with you, this takes me back to the very, very early years of being doing radio, and getting an email in now is amazing. It was a bit like getting a letter probably 15 years ago when I did radio. Um, it, what know, radio did you do? I did a lot of commercial kind of. Uh, I was the the fluffy person who did get in to talk about funny things, believe it or not. Smashing nicer. A bit like that. So I did commercial. I also did some BBC stations as well, and I did I did a lot of pilots back in the day for different radio stations. Hey. Really enough. So uh, top gun thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, ever the king of of doing pilots with people and writing pilots and treatments and stuff like that. So, but yeah, uh, getting a letter was was, was was even then was 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 quite giddy because people had sent an email and it feels like it's gone full circle now if you're getting an email now is a bit like getting a letter 15 years ago so uh, thank you um to, to mark casey who sent in uh an email i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of paraphrase it as much as possible rather than read out the whole thing uh, but he was the um he was talking about what the, the things I've made reference to, uh, having done the M Sport events and he was chief scrutineer at uh, an airfield time trial, uh, over in Melbourne, New York the following Saturday. And he basically, uh, goes along with what I was saying from the fact of, um, self scrutineer and everything else. Um, 
was fine. You know, as chief, I asked all the competitors to provide helmets, overalls, Simpson seats, makes models, etc., which is pretty much what we did for the M Sport event. Uh, and they did some spot checks on the day. Again, what 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 worked for us? And you know, uh, he agrees that maybe it is the future. But on international events, uh, maybe keep scrutinising for homologation and things like that. But I, I, I don't know how many homologated cars we got. How many cars running homologated classes these days, Mark? Uh, you probably know better than me. But uh, thank you for taking the time and the trouble. As you point out, I'm waiting on the same thing for rallying in the UK. Obviously, we've you know at the moment we we, we we're not going to have forest events. There's some circuit events. Uh, for the Motorsport News Championship that's going to be coming up. There's also a couple of single venues where actually we've been asked to go and do one um, to drive a Mini Cooper of all things. So I'm doing that in a, in a, in a I think next, this time next month or no, middle of October. And I'm really interested to see how rallying works at a circuit with all the things that have now been brought in. So yeah, you know, I'll be talking about um, I'll, I'll be talking about that obviously a bit nearer the time, but uh, yeah, thanks Mark for, for 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 emailing and obviously going along with what we were saying. And he implemented similar things, um, Trev, on, on on a time trial event. I think that's kind of the workaround, isn't it? At the moment, time trial events seem to be popping up. I know uh, there was one over from 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 your part of the world, well, originally your part of the world, I think, last weekend as well. Uh, maybe that's the workaround. Maybe we're going to see quarry events and time trials and things. Maybe that's what's going to get us through until next year. Yeah, it seems to be the way of it. Um, time trial is is the key word. So racing against the clock. If you can do that, um, then yeah, there's this. I suppose a creative way of doing it. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, Rally Estonia this weekend, Trev, which uh, I feel like I should have a fanfare at this point. If I, if I was more technically advanced, like you are these days, Trevor, I would have some kind of sound effects for this point. But we are back to WRC this coming weekend. Um, uh, I'm kind of tentative still. I don't know why. Um, I know what the guys are going through to go there. And, um, you know, uh, obviously we had Craig Breen on the other week. He was talking about what he was going through to get there and what, what lengths they have to go to, to in order to do this rally. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ask about face Trev about this because friend of the show and somebody, you know, uh, really well and somebody I know really well, uh, John Armstrong, uh, cause I was surprised that the juniors were doing this as well. I, it wasn't until I looked at the entry list, seeing the juniors, obviously one thing that was going to come out of COVID is looking at, commercial and investors and stuff like that and who's going to be hit and i've not spoke to john and i've seen john obviously on the m sport event but we, we really didn't have time to talk but obviously john's missing from the junior entry list and i can't imagine he's going to be back uh, anytime soon due to the fact that i'm, I'm assuming it's down to, to covid and investors Trev. probably yeah and uh, it could be the fact that a big crash in sweden as well contribute to it uh, so getting that repair bill uh, won't have helped his chances. Uh, I'm not sure just how much of the budget for the year he had originally anyway, uh, but I haven't uh, haven't really asked that question, so uh, I don't know. I personally didn't, I've been so busy, I personally didn't even know it was around of the, of the junior championship, so uh, that's news to me. Yeah, well, the, the, the story's come out again, another Another friend of the show and somebody I know quite well and does some work with back, back in the day, with Matt Edwards, of course, double British rally champion. Um, and he, uh, is he double British rally champion? Is he, is he won it twice? Yeah. Once? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It is, yeah. I've seen my mind went blank there, mm-hmm. but he's been called upon to, to go and sit with Rory Bell in the juniors. Unfortunately, him and Darren Gerrard had a, a nasty accident a couple of weeks ago on the, the, uh, the ERC round and, and Matt has, was doing a quick switcheroo and, 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 and flying out to sit with Rory over in Estonia. So we have got some representation uh, um, in the juniors, but um, I'm surprised, Trev. I'm, well, I'm, I'm split on this. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but um, I think it's a big ask for anybody uh, outside of the works teams to be to, 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 to be going to the commercial back, backers at the moment and, and, and getting money. Uh, it'll be hard simply because those commercial people don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I just heard about another friend who's having to close his business down this morning. Wow. Uh, I heard this morning he's closing it down at the end of uh, the month. And yeah, just one of those where he opened just before the lockdown happened and he, he literally no chance, uh, especially when you don't know when things are going to go back, if they are going to go back to any sort of normality that we know. Um, and there's lots of that. And it's, it's the thing again, as you come back to, 
the World Rally Championship, not just around manufacturers, but uh, importer teams and the sponsors that they're attached to. How you can get any sort of long-term commitment is is a mind-blowing thing for me. Um, of course, there are people who've got uh, plenty of money, and uh, my other job, I'm seeing that reflected in people going out and buying uh, very expensive cars. So the period of reflection that a lot of people had, uh, over those few months, um, some people have gone along the route of, okay, I'm, I'm very happy that we're healthy and uh, I want to go out and do a few things differently. Others are saying, I've got all this money. I've been working 80, 90 hours a week. Maybe it's time to enjoy it. And they've gone out and bought a lot of fancy cars and we're seeing a huge amount of that, like records being broken left, right and center. So there are people still who've got an interest in motorsport who I think if you spoke to them in the right way, I'd be quite happy to use that money to help people. So it's just getting out and finding them. That's the key. It's yeah. always the same. Finding, getting yourself into a, a position where you'll meet people like that, having a decent conversation, an honest conversation with them, like explain just in, in transparent terms what you're hoping to achieve and then see what happens. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But um, we're not going to do too much, folks, on, on Rally Estonia. Obviously, you've got the excellent All Live to, to, to follow around, but we are going to have some of the guys who won were, were competing on Rally Estonia with us next week. So we're going to we're kind of do a retrospective kind of look at, because we, I suppose, Trev, the other thing as well, we don't know quite know what we're going to get in this brave new world of how WRC is going to operate. So I, I don't even want to try and kind of speculate. The only thing we, we do know is that the rally will work in the, in, in, the, in the truest possible terms but I suppose it's the surrounding bits and pieces to do with the rally that we, we just don't know how it's going to be even the coverage yeah uh, that part of it will be interesting because as we've seen with Formula 1 there's minimum people on the ground and anybody involved with the, the, the mainstream uh, program if you like will be there clearly uh, but again is can any of that be done remotely in a studio somewhere else rather than Taking people live to the event, I'm sure there's uh, there's a reduced staff and therefore maybe reduced resources to to produce what we've seen. But it's a condensed event, you know. So I think Friday night is a super special. Then we're into the bulk of the rally Saturday, well a little bit on Sunday, uh, 230 kilometres or whatever it may be. So uh, the action on the stages is really what everybody's focused on. And if we've still got all live with uh, the excellent covers that they have, both the chopper shots and some stage end, and that'll be great. Maybe we should make a prediction, should we? Um, yes. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big and obvious. Okay. Tanak, done. Uh, yeah, go, uh, let's go one, two, three. A tradition. Okay. Uh, uh, Tanak, uh, Ogier, Evans. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so Tanak. OGA Evans. I'm going to write that down. Okay, I'm going to go left field as well, just because we'll get away from the obvious. So, well, so left field with my winner is going to be Roven Perra. Okay. Second is going to be OGA. No, second is Tanak and third OGA. Now, Elvin, I think, could be competitive as well, clearly, but I'm just going to give him time to recover from that crash. Uh, the rest of them uh, who I'd like to be up there should probably be playing the team role. Uh, Toyota clearly is going to be a strong car, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how close Hyundai uh, have got to them with the testing they've done on fast rallies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Trev, one thing we've we've kind of talked about since we came back um, over the, the three episodes, obviously, uh, and I suppose it was a little bit of last last season as well, what we talked about is some of the implications of what's going on within rallying. You've been talking about minimum number of people at events and things like that. And I suppose the ripple effect, the domino effect of, of what's happening in motorsport at the moment with regards to, you know, people who earn a living from it. You know, obviously, you and Ryan, obviously, earn a living and Trev, uh, and Jack does, and I do to some degree, um, from, from, from automotive and motorsport and stuff, and we've all been affected by it. But um, there was a great article, Trev, that came out uh, last week uh, on uh, Dice Sport by Paul Evans which I'd read and you sent it over to us um, over the weekend and it's talking about the you know the the, the, the effects of businesses in Wales uh, specifically but I think it's almost could be mirror imaged in anywhere you know anywhere in Europe almost at the moment to some degree or maybe not because in Europe we have actually got rallies happening Um but certainly in, in in other parts of the world. But I thought it'd be a really good idea, and, and 
uh, you agreed with me, Trev, to get Paul on to have a chat about this article. So what I'm going to do, we're going to go to a little break and then we're going to come back with Paul Evans. This is Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally. And as mentioned in the first section there, Trevor and I have obviously... We're debating, well, all of us, both Trevor, Jack, Ryan and myself over the last few weeks, we've been debating, obviously, the, the economic impacts of what's going on at the moment for rallying and, and, and maybe even the, the, the ripple effect as you start to kind of work your way down international rallying and things like that. And uh, one one article that has been shared around uh, quite a bit um, is one that's been written by Paul Evans on Dice Sport. And I thought it'd be a really good. Well, apart from the five, it's a good opportunity to get Paul on. We've never had Paul on before. So, Paul Evans, welcome to Absolute Rally. Thank you very much. It's nice to be on. It's lovely to have you. And and I, I didn't realise you and Trev went back a long way. If I would have known that, I would have just left you to it. <laughs> yes, yes, we, we go a long way back from his co-driving days. And he even did a rally in the in the Super 6 series over in Ireland. I think he crashed, mind you, but... Uh, he was uh, he was certainly trying very hard. He was a good good driver, and of course, very good well, driver. Were well, the photographs in black and white? Because it feels like a long time ago that Paul. I had to blow the lights out. <laughs> I had to blow the lights out. Funny, uh, Paul. Uh, in all seriousness, as I say, you, you've kind of wrote this in-depth article, which um, a lot of people have shared around. Which obviously is it, it, great on one hand, but the actual, the, the you know, the the, the the where the inspirations come from, obviously, is is one of sadness and frustration of what's going on obviously in wales at the moment but as i've just been saying before i brought you on you know it could be replicated in other parts of in, in other parts of the world right now but you you went into it in in depth um is this was this kind of inspired by the fact that initially you, you haven't got much to write about at the moment well you know i, I was looking for a a, a a positive news story you know there's there's been trial events that have been planned for Walters Arena and, and Sweet Lamb and other places. So I was looking for to put a positive spin on things. But unfortunately, there, there really isn't a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. And, you know, it's all, it's all down to the devolved powers of the Welsh government and, and this ruling where they, they limit the number of, of people to, to 30. So they have a, a mass gathering rule of 30 people. And this could be indoors at a wedding or a funeral, but it also is outdoors. It's an arbitrary rule that any event that's organised anywhere in Wales cannot have more than 30 people. And they don't take into consideration a, a venue like um, Sweet Lamb, which is 5,000 acres, or Walters Arena, which is 1,800 acres. You know, it, uh, they, they, it's limited now to, uh, to no more than 30 people, which makes it... Unviable. I mean, you just can't run it. You need you need more marshals than that, even before you get the spectators. Um, well, even if it's a non-spectator event, you, you can't have any competitors. So, unless that regulation is is relaxed or they review it on a case by case basis, I mean, motorsports is well and truly stopped uh, in in Wales, which is very sad and very damaging uh, to the sport. So I think irreversible damage is being done at the moment. So. Paul, just at the end of your article, three paragraphs from the end, in one line you write, rallying in Wales is in crisis, make no mistake about it. Is it that bad? Well, I mean, mean, no. The Cambrian Rally is an example. It's the only forest rally that's, that's taken place in Wales this year. And the Cambrian Rally will be scheduled to take place in February um, 2021. And there's there's no light switch which is going to be flicked on January the first. I mean, uh, unless we start to open a rally in and explore what is possible uh, to to reopen motorsport and rallying in particular in in, in Wales. I mean, the, the the Cambrian has to start making decisions in November. You know, consultation starts with Natural Resources Wales. It's, it's, it starts to incur costs, so it's. It's a situation that could rumble on. And I think psychologically, if, if rallies are going to be postponed in the early part of 2021, it's going to be a hammer blow 
to to the sport um, in in Wales because we'd be looking at there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no there's no way that we can restart at the moment unless the Welsh government change change their policy or change their guidelines. Okay, well, Tony Simpson's a very powerful person. So <laughs> if through absolute rally you had the opportunity to go to the Welsh government and stand in front of them and offer a proposal which you think would be a fair solution, taking into consideration public health, what would that look like? People are. People are debating this with the Welsh government um, to, to, to not much avail. Um, the, the Welsh government are planning three trial events uh, uh, in, in September. One is a triathlon at Pembe Country Park. Uh, one is a uh, an outdoor theatre in in, uh, in in North Wales. And one is a, a race meeting in Anglesey Circuit, but it's only for a hundred people. It's it's like going testing in a rally car and driving at twenty percent. There is no valuable uh, results you're going to have by putting on such a small event for such a small number. And it's not just competitors. This is 100 people in total, officials, marshals. Wow. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a silly thing to do, really. What, what we need is a, is a proper rally or a proper organized event where they can, where, where these things can be measured. And of course, rallying in particular is is, is um, well experienced in risk assessment. Not only risk assessment, but, but dealing with things. Nothing really unexpected happens in rallying. We can always predict that there's going to be an accident. There's going to happen somewhere, and and there are skilled and trained people to deal with each and every circumstance. Uh, but I don't know, there's an arbitrary rule and says it's nothing. Nothing will happen. You can't even start to discuss. Things like PR or having no spectators or coronavirus compliant rules or social distancing. It's, it's just a no before even those conversations start. So we've got a long way to go before rallying. We start in the forests of Wales. And, you know, Wales Rally GB isn't on the 2021 draft World Rally Championship calendar yet. And, and you can see why, because what reassurance is Wales giving that that rally could possibly take place. It's going to take a long time to get to a world championship rally where we can't even run a very small event in a in a locked and secure location like Sweet Lamb, for example. That's amazing. Um, you, you did also cite as part of your article um, a venue where you can actually turn up in your car, you can sit in your car and see most of the venues. So in other words, uh, you could go and you could be in your own little bubble in your car and that isn't even uh, allowed to happen. No, uh, you know, at Pembrey and Anglesey Circuit, they, you know, they have spectator banking. And, uh, you know, uh, Wales sometimes isn't blessed with the sunniest of climates. And, and and people are quite used to to sheltering in cars and and watching motorsport events. Uh, so this could this could happen. This could happen tomorrow at at both those racing circuits. Uh, but no spectators are allowed because that would come within the, that would be included in in the thirty person uh, limit. But we could run events without spectators. Um, the, the, the ironic thing is that I could go to a beach tomorrow and, and sit on a beach with an unlimited number of people, providing that we um, social distance. But I, I, I couldn't go to an event of Sweet Lamb. I, I wouldn't actually be allowed to go to an event of Sweet Lamb because they would run it as a non-spectator event. But it doesn't stop me going into a supermarket or a, or a restaurant where there's more than 30 people. Because that's not classed as an event. In Wales, if you have an event, it's got to be for less than 30 people in total. Competitors, officials, marshals, spectators, everybody. Um, so that, that rule has to be relaxed. And I, they're not reviewing that rule until the 11th of September. But considering that they're, they're only having three trial events for a maximum of 100 people this month, you can't see a major decision happening 
on the 11th of September. You can't see them suddenly deciding, yep, let's go for it. Let's, let's operate a case-by-case structure to, to restart rallying in Wales. You just can't see them doing it. They've been so cautious. And we need to be cautious too. But the Welsh Government have been so cautious, it's, it's effectively stopped motorsport in Wales completely. And I can't see any sign of it restarting. It seems strange, though, when you look at the national government, certainly the government in England, and you hear Boris Johnson talk about the Prime Minister quite a lot. There is definitely is a balance between getting people out and about. You know, they eat out to help out campaign where, you know, you go out and you get discount on meals uh, for three days a week. And we had that all the way through August. So there's clearly a balance between public health and trying to kickstart the economy. And there's plenty of money ring fence to do that. But the signs of things, that doesn't seem to be the attitude in the Welsh government, that it's definitely public health first, and then we'll deal with the carnage of businesses failing left, right and centre at a later date. Is that fair to say that? Uh, yes, it, 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 and they can look at events in England. They can look at the British Touring Car Championship and, and that wonderful event they had up at M Sport in Greystoke Forest. They, they can look at those events to see... Um, how well organised and how it worked, and and has there been a spike in those areas? So, so, but, but I don't think anyone is going to take responsibility to do it. They, 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 and it's not just a sport; it's a massive industry in Wales. There, there, there are over thirty rallies which are taking place in Wales, and you add the circuits and the and the sprints and the rallycross and the motorcycle racing. There must be almost a hundred hundred events. Um, which take place annually in, in Wales. And just by taking those events alone, it, it must be 50 or 60 million pounds to the to the Welsh economy that these events bring in. It must surely be. If, if Wales Rally GB generates 10 million pounds, you add everything else together, uh, and it's a huge sum of money for the Welsh economy. So it's not just a sport that we enjoy and, we, you know, please, Welsh Government, can we can we go and do this again? This this is a this is a serious business and a serious industry employing a lot of people, and I think a lot of people's livelihoods now are, are really at risk if the, if the Welsh government continue this policy of of an arbitrary ban on on everything. Paul, um, uh, I, I I couldn't agree more. It's it, it, it it's it's frightening. If people want to check out the the actual um, piece themselves, obviously we'll share it a bit further down the line. What's the best way of finding it? And it's on a website called die-sports.com. Um, it, okay. It's a general Welsh sports um, website. Uh, there's some, some really good journalists uh, contribute to it. And, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think I think rallying should have a voice. I think it should have a much louder voice. Um, and I think we should shout a lot louder about our sport because, uh, you know, it's important. It's it's important to a lot of people, uh, not not just for pleasure and enjoyment, but as as an industry and, a, and an economic uh, boost for for rural economies. I, th- I think it's a, it's an important part of of Welsh business life and, and heritage and sports. And I think we should be a lot more vocal about it. Fantastic, Paul Evans. Thank you for joining us on Absolute Rally. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much. This is Absolute Rally. Ireland's leading commercial note supplier, Killian Duffy, has joined forces with 2016 British Rally champion Craig Parry to form On The Pace Note UK. For more information, visit the website onthepacenote.co.uk. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally. Thanks for Paul Evans for joining us uh, and Trev at the top of the podcast. They're talking about obviously the economic, uh, the economic downturn of what's going on with, with rallying in Wales and everything else. Uh, and do check out that article anyway. But uh, somebody we've been, we, we, somebody we probably should have had on so long ago. It's untrue when you think about his connections 
with Ryan, with Ryan, Ryan's other half. I, I can't believe it took nearly five years to have Mon. Um, but a, a little bit, a little bit of a, a little bit of a legend as far as I'm concerned with regards to Peugeot and British Rally, and certainly Mick Linford. Welcome to Absolute Rally. Thank you very much. And mentioning I'm a legend, then uh, I'm sure that's an overstatement, but uh, I appreciate the gesture. If you can answer this question, you'll be a legend in my eyes forever. Okay. Question number one before we bring Ryan Champion in. Why did the Peugeots have a wooden gear knobs? <laughs> um, I haven't got an answer for you. Oh, Mick. Are you going to tell me why they had a wooden gear Mick, knob? Mick, thank you so much for joining us Absolute Rally, folks. We'll be back after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mick, I was hoping you were going to have some, some wonderful mythical story about something that happened in Peugeot sport, which meant that they liked to touch wood i don't know now if you'd have tipped me off in advance of that question let me tell you i could have made up something very special for you okay all right well i'll tell you what ryan will make stuff up <laughs> ryan champion hello by the way we've not even said hello yet uh, hello tony hello mick hello. Hi, ryan. You, you've brought you've brought mick to us today thank you yes, finally it only yeah. took you five years well i thought i thought it was only right that uh, that we did get uh, mick on it and uh, as tony's already alluded to mick i mean we all know you very well from from the peugeot days and and most of our listeners will know you from being the boss of, uh, of peugeot sport uk but um let's go right back to the beginning before you ever got anywhere near peugeot how did you get involved in the sport and and take us on the journey that uh, took you to coventry um well, when I very first started rallying, it was, you know, typical 12-car jobs and uh, I had a Mark One Escort. And uh, But I was fairly well known for causing panel damage uh, to the point where very early on, on a night event, uh, I managed to make head-on contact with an ancient monument in a field in the Winnick to Yelvertoff Road just outside Northampton. It was a gated road with no fences down the side and... I hit what was an ancient wellhead, apparently, and uh, it, it absolutely annihilated the front of the car. Uh, on the front page of the next day's Chronicle and Echo in Northampton was a photograph of the car, and in the window, look, you have these stickers that read various things. I'd got in reverse, move over, and uh, it didn't go down very well. It's, in the papers, it said spoke about the the typical um, attitude of these drivers that were going mad through the countryside and that sort of thing. Um, but because I was sponsored by a crash repair specialist, which was a, another bit of a joke because my car had dented panels throughout, uh, he did a really good cut and shut job, uh, cut it off across the door pillars and cut it off across the floor by the handbrake, stuck another front end on and uh, off we went again. And that was my sort of early recollection recollection of uh, of rally and then sort of progressed and I, I worked for if you don't mind me going on a bit I worked for a pretty big company in Buckingham who has long closed down and it wasn't my fault but uh, at the time when I was building the car I wanted some turrets uh, turret boxes and I thought I can make them in the fabrication department in lunch times so I made a pair of turrets and fitted them on my car and then the next thing I wanted was a World Cup cross member. I thought, I can't make that. That's too complicated. I'm going to have to buy one. So I contacted Rally Design, Dave Elderfield, some of you will have known. And I said to him, I want a World Cup cross member, but can I swap you for some turret boxes? Which he thought was a very strange question to ask. But he said, OK, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. He said, you send me a pair of turret boxes and I'll knock the cost of one pair off a, a World Cup cross member. So I got me World Cup cross member sent him the pair of turrets and he came back to me and said, can you read an engineering drawing? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to send you a drawing up. Have a look at it. And it was, for those who know their escorts, a double width anti-roll bar mounts. And I said, yeah, I can do them. And I quoted him and uh, he said, make me a hundred. Anyway, this escalated beyond belief. So I had the foreman of the paint shop, the foreman of the, fabrication shop and the foreman of the welding shop all on my payroll on overtime in the mornings <laughs> manufacturing parts and uh dave elderfield used to supply all the country and twice a week i was going down and meeting him on the north circular because he came from cambridge i can only tell this tale now because the company i worked for has long closed now and as i say it wasn't my fault 
but uh, it enabled me to build a really good car and uh, and that I then continued through rallying and that I progressed to a uh, the BTRDA production class in a Sierra XR4i. Um, I even then went to a, uh, 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 oh dear, I can't see, my age is telling. I can't think what it was now. Me and Pentium Rickler both. What did he? Well, Mitsubishi Starion. Mitsubishi Starion, that's right. Had some special suspension made for it. And at the time there was only me, uh, Penty and oh, James's dad. Our Piggy Thompson. Our yeah. Piggy. Yeah, we were the only three people running then. Uh, and I did actually go and work for Mick Bryant Products as, uh, as do, just doing sales. I worked for him for um, about two years, and then I set up in Brackley European Motorsport and uh, set up my own company there and did used to have a double page spread in Autosport once a month, full page in Motor News once a month. Uh, just a family business. Me and my dad was doing the packing. My sister did the books for me. Um, Pete Jackson, some people would know, uh, came and worked for me for a time. And I ran that for, I ran that for nine years, selling motorsport parts all over the world, mail order and that. Excuse me. And, uh, and then I, I got involved with a company called, uh, Quick Bits at Nottingham who we won't say too much about because uh, basically they took me down and closed the business. And uh, I then went to a few months later after sorting a few things out, I went to Silverstone as uh, as an instructor there for a few months. And then they offered me the job of manager there and building a rally school. So I set the rally school up at Silverstone Circuit uh, and was manager there for four years. And when I set up the rally school, uh, that's when I approached Peugeot to supply us cars, and they supplied us three 309 GTIs, and I had a superb working relationship with them. And then Brian Llewellyn, who was the boss there, well, he was public relations director, that's who Des Odell answered to, uh, he approached me one day and said that uh, that, that um, Des was coming up for retirement and they was looking for somebody uh, to take his place, he said, no, I think you'd be ideal for that. Uh, and I said to him, I said, uh, Brian, I said, oh, I live and breathe Silverstone. I'll be here till the day I die. Never thought another word about it. And then a couple of days later, Keith Board, who most of you will know, who, was, who had been my co-driver on stage events, rang me up and said, I can't believe you turned down Desi's job. I said, what are you talking about turning down Desi's job? He said, Brian told me he spoke to you about Desi's job and you said you wasn't interested. I said, no, Brian joked about it. And Keith said, no, I can assure you, he said, he was deadly serious. So I said, please tell him to, uh, I, that I didn't realise he was serious. So, uh, you know, I can see him anytime he wants. So he rang me, Brian did about an hour later, and said, I understand this probably worth me and you having a bit of a chat. He said, how about if I come up tomorrow to Silverstone and see you at lunchtime? So he came up and we had a chat and he said, uh, Des obviously knows everything about rallying. He said, but you've got your finger in all sorts of pies. He says, you've done rallying, you built your own cars. He said, we're moving into BT, uh, BTCC racing. You've raced for a couple of years. He said, you've run European Motorsport, which covers the special tuning department. He said, I think you'd be a better option because you cover all those things. Um, and I said, well, obviously, I'm obviously interested. I then got called into a, a meeting, an interview with their HR department a few days later. And to be honest, they just put the papers in front of me to sign to say that's the job. I think I had a, a very good increase in wages, <laughs> um, two company cars. And um, uh, and that was me into Peugeot. I moved in there. I forget when I started in January of the no March of the year I think it was, and uh, me and Des was in the same offices for about two or three months. Des actually found it very hard. Uh, he found it very difficult that somebody else was taking his reins. Um, and although he used to come in two or three days a week, they actually then changed it so that uh, he didn't come into the office um, because things were a little bit difficult. And then eventually, of course, he stood down completely. And 
and I took over the reins then. I mean, Des was there for five years, and I was actually there for for uh, 11 years. Uh, that was on the challenge, and uh, I was actually at the company for just under 14 years. Um, and that's about a summary of that. <laughs> well, that was quite a journey there. But just before we get into filling those huge boots of, of Des Odell's uh, in Coventry, um, the time at Silverstone must have been quite interesting because I know you you probably saw all the up and coming drivers at that time, both from a, a race point of view and a rally point of view, working at Silverstone. Yeah, that, there was there was certainly lots of people, especially in the racing side, as I'm sure you realised that uh, had a lot bigger egos and thoughts about how good they were compared to the rally drivers. Um, it, I do believe it's still the same today with the greatest respect to all racing drivers. Uh, the rally drivers are just so much more down to earth uh, than the racing drivers. And, uh, yeah, we saw lots of them. And, and one, of course, in particular was... Uh, I think it was a Motrin News find a rally driver thing we had down there. And um and we did the there was various people that come and entered it and that and you know, this is where my age comes in, because I do keep forgetting names. And uh who later <laughs> who won it? This is so embarrassing when I forget names. What's his name? Irish. Go world, on. World, world championship. Dear. I think, was it I went about the three or nines now? Was it was I it a more I'm, I'm moving on to the person who who finished up driving in WRC. Oh, oh Chris Meek. Chris Meek. Yeah. Well he I, I picked him out as the winner of that competition and uh and that gave him his very first drive in a BTRDA round in, in our one of our three oh nines or yeah, it was a three oh nine at the time, the they might the 16 valve one um so yeah he can't that's where he really started when we picked him out for that and uh and that started him on the road to sort of where he is now so although he wasn't part of the challenge it was another thing that uh in a peugeot car got him underway but uh, yeah lo- lots of people there've been some really good race drivers but as always it's the rally drivers that have stood out and it's the rally drivers that have work so hard for what they want, determination, and prepared to get their hands dirty to get where they want to be. Uh, you, you just jumped forward a bit there, because I, I thought you were gonna you were talking about the Shell Scholarship days, because didn't one of those 309s get crashed during the Shell Scholarship final in the trees at Silverstone? Yeah, yeah, it uh, did. And, uh, and no, are you right? No, it wasn't. I, I can't remember. I thought I hope Mick's going to tell me. I think it I, might... I can't remember. Who do you think it was? I thought it was Ryan Shell. Did you do the distributed? No, no, this this was, uh, I, did I drive a 309 at Silverstone? Maybe, but I, no, it was the year before. It was like in the Burnsy McRae, uh, Alistair McRae era. And I'm not sure if it, uh, I'm sure Mark Higgins will jump if it, if it wasn't him, but it was Mark Higgins or Don Buckley or the, some, some one of those. It wasn't Mark. And I'm just trying to think who was sat in with it. Was it Jimmy? Johnny? How about Johnny? Was Johnny there then as well? I think Johnny was the year after, maybe. I can't remember. I can't remember. But anyway, one of those three or nines got crashed. Yeah, he did (laughs) big time against the tree. And I was just trying to think who sat in with him. It was Jimmy McRae who was sat in with him at the time. Um, We'll uh, we'll have to do some digging as to who it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's two things. (laughs) We need to know about the gear knob. <laughs> and who crashed the three or nine? But uh, so then, then you, you you moved to Coventry, and like you said, you you worked alongside Des for a while, and and then took over from Des. I mean, um, you'd obviously got experience of of rallying, and and you know, as you were just talking about circuit racing as well, and we'll mention touring cars in a few minutes. But um, did you feel the pressure taking over from Des Odell, who was so well known in rallying? Ah, uh, for sure, massive pressure. Um, Mainly because not so much on doing the job, I wasn't concerned about that. I think it was mainly about establishing some credibility myself because Des had achieved so many things. He had set everything up, uh, and Des was the big man sort of thing. He was, he was the man that had done it all. And then me, nobody knew me. You know, I'd been a manager at Silverstone. I'd done a bit of rallying, but who the hell was Mick Linford? Um, and I think it was more a case of, of trying to get recognised for my own achievements uh, that was the biggest challenge. 
And uh, obviously, at that time, Peugeot was heavily involved in, in, well, all forms of motorsport, but particularly rallying. The, the Peugeot Challenge was already underway by then. And, that, you know, we, we all know that that was a massive success from um, a competitor point of view and also bringing on young drivers. And, and we know the drivers that came through it. But it was also a big commercial success for Peugeot, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. And when they closed the department um, and, and obviously the, the challenge stopped, I mean, the new French MD at the time, um, one of the reasons he closed it was, as far as he was concerned, with the challenge in the motorsport, it could only be measured on column inches in the papers or the number of seconds, excuse me, on radio or TV. But what he overlooked was, I think the most we ever had was 63 cars out on an event. 63 cars go out on an event through a forest, driving as hard as they can. On the Monday morning, the phone calls to dealers for parts was huge, because whether it was body panels, engine parts or whatever. And he, he overlooked that completely. And not only that, people were so passionate about their rallying and, their, and the Peugeot challenge that the driver would be driving a Peugeot. You'd soon find that a couple of the service crew had also bought Peugeots. The co-driver had bought a Peugeot. And all of those were being dealt through dealers. They all needed parts and spares every now and again. And and it was just such a shame that that side of it was overlooked because it was huge, the, uh, you know, the promotion of the product uh, through rallying. And and like I said, I mean, through all the years, from, from the early years of the, the 205s with the, the Richard Burnses, but yeah, you had everybody came through the Peugeot Challenge, didn't you? Like you said, Chris Meek then went into the 106 Cup. You had the likes of uh, Niall McShear, Gary Jennings, Rory Gallagher. And like, there were so many uh, drivers that you could mention that, that came through those championships. Yeah, I mean, I took the liberty of just scribbling down a list here because I don't remember them all. But uh, in Desi's days, of course, when he had the Young Lions, there was Colin... Um, Warren Hunt and it was the third one Colin Warren Hunt and you and Richard was Richard. Richard wasn't it wasn't Richard one of the young lines uh, no I think it was oh, you and, I think it was you and Robertson and Richard won the oh, challenge right, and, yeah, and, and, with the factory car then Paul Franklin won the rally challenge in 89 and then you move on Kevin Ferber Richard Burns that's when I took over then you got Brendan Creeley, Rudy Lancaster, Neil Weirden, Justin Dow won the British Junior Rally Championship, Jason Sharp won the 306 Challenge when we brought those in. Then with the 106s, it was Tim Hookway. Uh, 88, it was just a bonus scheme. 99, it was Mark Fisher, who was such a shame when his, him and his dad had the accident in the helicopter. Then we went Martin Sampson, Rory Gallagher, Gary Jennings, Sean Gallagher, and uh, Stuart Jones the last year. So there's some names there, and if you then look at where a lot of those got to in British Rally Championship and that, it's amazing how many people did come through the Peugeot Challenge. And uh, you, you mentioned Mark Fisher there. I mean, you, you spent quite a lot of time with Mark. Mark won the inaugural one inaugural <laughs> he won the first 106 cup and and mark's prize for that was was an incredible offering wasn't it at the time i mean uh, you know rallying had never really seen a prize like mark won yeah that was the drive on the uh on the what do we call it these days network q lombard rac the rac rally um he won that prize uh in fact i can't remember whether it was one or two drives i think it was two because he went to yeah. greece as well didn't he well, yeah the uk and greece and uh, Mark was a great driver, and I, I got on so well with him and Bertie. And uh, it, well, I was actually on holiday in America when, unfortunately, they had the accident in the helicopter. But uh, And I had, less than two weeks beforehand, signed Mark up on a contract to drive our works car the following year. And, uh, yeah, such a major loss to the sport, that was. Uh, and, yeah, that was a fantastic opportunity for him uh, in, uh, what would it have been at the time, 206 WRC? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, he reveled in it. I think that from memory, there was a few little teeth in troubles with the car, so he wasn't able to sort of let his full potential get out there. But um, but yeah, as I say, sadly missed him and Dirty. Yeah, I mean, Mark was a real professional, wasn't he, in the way he, uh, he treated his rallying? Yeah, and uh, I think he'd been brought up that way with Bertie being his dad. Uh, he'd seen it, he'd seen the way to do it Bertie did everything the right way and uh, and that gave Mark a really good grounding uh, and it showed all the time he was with us Now, 
you know, as we said, the, uh, the, the, the Peugeot era was incredible. But, you know, what, what are your memories of that time? What are the things that stand out? I mean, God, you were involved in touring cars and the budgets in touring cars at the time were, were just astronomical, weren't they? You know, in the Super Tourer era. Touring cars, I think the biggest budget I had was 4.3 million. Um, and what we had for rallying was a pittance, just a pittance. Um, and yet the rallying brought more success uh, exposure-wise than uh, than the racing did, really. Um, uh, with the rallying, I mean, just great memories right the way through. And And what was the best part of it, I think, was on the events in the service area, everybody, and this is rallying to a T, really, but especially in the challenge, everybody was friendly with one another. Uh, there was no backbiting or or anything like that it it really was a great time and when we had the end of year awards you know we'd get between four and five hundred people there and they had a great time because they all knew one another that had some great times through the year lots of memories to share and uh, and it just was a superb time in, in rallying and in general motorsport mick can i ask um i I got involved in doing the BRC. Um, well, it, I actually came in to do the one make series, not in the Peugeots. I did the Polos in 2001 and then 2002, 2003. Yeah. Um, but the Peugeot one was the one that everybody aspired to. You know, most people either went from the Polos to go and do the, the 206 or went from the KAs to the 206. So it was seen as the premium yeah. kind of one make championship to, 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 to go to. Well, two two prong question, I suppose. Why was that? Was it the fact that you guys were 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 so were so passionate about? I suppose, or Peugeot certainly were putting a lot more effort in. I suppose, you know, certainly externally, what it looked like compared to the other two brands. I think the biggest thing was uh, we did everything we could to make sure everybody was on an equal footing, uh, and we made it extremely clear to people: if you were caught cheating, you would be out. Uh, and because of the prizes at the end of the year at Works Drive and things like that, then there was too much to lose. And although some companies had uh, rather than looked after the car, sorry, some drivers had instead of them looking after the car, they had separate companies, garages looking after them. It was still made clear to them because obviously any garage they want to they want to win. Um, so it was still made clear to them. You cannot cheat or you will be out of the door. Um, and, and I think. It meant that you could have loads of money or you could just about afford your rallying, but you still stood just as good a chance, which was so important to us because we were only interested in the drivers and their ability. We're not interested in who got more money and they could throw another set of tyres at it. We did everything we could to make it fair and just to show as an example of how strict we were, the year David Higgins won it, as always, the first three cars, we sealed them at the end of the event and we took the cars away or had them delivered to Coventry. Um, David Higgins's car was stripped down that Skip Brown cars uh, prepared it or certainly did the engine. Um, and when we stripped it down, it had got a, a vernier cam wheel on it. Now, that vernier cam wheel was set in the standard position. So there was absolutely no advantage to it at all. None whatsoever. Uh, but it was an illegal component on the car. Uh, and because of that, and because of how strict we were, David lost the championship. He got through out of it. Um, that wow. was appealed. They appealed through the MSA, and we went to an appeal at Silverstone. And uh, and, the, and the people who sat there, I can't the stewards, whatever you want to call them, uh, they went through all the paperwork and that. Uh, and ultimately... It said in there, if if it didn't say something was allowed, it wasn't allowed. Uh, and the people from the MSA who were sat on there, they read that out and, and said, it doesn't say it's allowed, so why did, why did it was on there? It's illegal. And it was just thrown straight out, which was a terrible shame for David Higgins. Uh, and for some compensation, I loaned him a car at a later date, which unfortunately... He rolled and wrote off <laughs> halfway through the event. But uh, it was a shame for David because he'd driven well enough to deserve the award. But because we were so strict, 
Uh, and that's why everybody wanted to go and, and drive in there, I think, because it showed who was the best driver. It didn't matter if for somebody's father had got £10 million to throw at it. It didn't make any difference. The people who just dragged themselves up and scrimped and scraped to get there, they stood just as good a chance. And that was the appeal, I think, to everybody. It seems it seems mad when we sit here kind of 20 odd years later and we're, it was it was aspirational you know certainly for me to starting out um dare i say it with the esteemed company i've got here and my friend ryan champion but they were people who i looked at when i was getting into the sport and they're doing the Peugeot challenge and it's like that's that that was aspirational almost the way people i think probably today look at maybe the wrc i don't know but it was aspirational to do that championship which i you know it, it seems odd now when i talk to people about you know, when I first started that, you know, the aspiration was to go and do the Persian Challenge. Yeah. And then beyond that was the British Rally Championship. So there was kind of, it was like a two-pronged thing, really. And I think other manufacturers automatically looked who was coming through the Peugeot Challenge at the front to see who their next drivers were going to be. Uh, I think that was very much the case. It, it it did a job for them as well. It sorted out who were the best drivers and, and put them on their pecking list. Where... Where, in your honest opinion, Mick, did we start to go wrong with one-way championships? Um, uh, well, I think the the Peugeot Challenge, uh, I know I was running it, and I'm not just saying this because it was something I was involved in. I, I genuinely think it was the best opportunity for any driver out there to show their, how good they were in that. Um, the other one-way championships, just didn't offer the same thing. They didn't offer the same strictness. Excuse me. Um, it didn't give the same opportunities. And I think once the Peugeot Challenge closed down, there was never anything else to compare with it. That was, you know, Peugeot were prepared to, com- excuse me, to prepared to commit quite a lot of money to it. Uh, and then we had sponsorship off Shell and Total and things like that. Um, they threw a lot at it. And, you know, achieved a lot with it. And as I say, I don't think from that day it closed down, there's ever been anything else to compare with it. And I don't think there ever will be. Joe, you, you said something before, which uh, I actually scribbled down on my pad when you were talking about the the unseen, the hidden the hidden benefits. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, people having Peugeot road cars, the service crew having Peugeot road cars and buying parts, et cetera, et cetera. Yada, 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 yada. We could go on and on and on. But in your kind of mind's eye, I suppose, do you think the books were balanced from what they spent on rallying to what they got back? Um. I don't know. In hard cash, possibly not. But people's okay. perception of the brand, you know, it's, it's not something like they go and spend money on parts and they yes, yes, that's paid for the weekend's rallying. No, that, that wouldn't be the case. Um, but I think just people's perception of the brand and their involvement of that kept the, the Peugeot name in the forefront of people's minds. Uh, and like, Six months later, that you know, their son has perhaps been rallying a Peugeot. They've packed up now. Six months, 12 months later, they're looking at cars. I can almost guarantee Peugeot would be one of the brands they'd be looking at because the Peugeot name has been something that's in their family, you know, their son, their daughter, whatever it may be. They've heard it on and on and on, week after week after week. And, and the, whoever was in the family has loved the brand and what they've done with it. So I think it... it it spread and spread and spread in ways we couldn't even really think about. So long term, I think it paid off without any doubt at all, but not not sort of over the next sort of week or two. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask a, a couple of other things before before we do let you go. I'm really conscious of time as well. So I do thank you for your time. But no, I could, no stuff like this, I could talk about for hours, really. <laughs> but I realise that doesn't always make a great podcast. But um, obviously, just just stepping away briefly from, from, from the one maker course, you had, you know, you have many, many years running the Super 1600 car. Uh, and then, um, obviously, um, the, 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 the 206 as well, you know, Super 1600 car. Yeah. Was that, uh, was that something that uh, was uh, a decision, you know, up above or was that something you were passionate about? Because, you know, you, as you, you, you alluded to, and we've just been talking about the amount of PR you got off the one make championship. Did you really need to have the Super 1600 car or was that something that needed to be put there as part of the almost the prize structure as well? Yeah. I, I don't think we necessarily needed it, but uh, as you say, on the prize structure, it was something always that people could look, you know, this could be my next stage. Um, 
when we first signed Justin, um, Justin proved to be great. He was great for the brand and uh, Justin and Andrew. Um, and I think Justin was with us for about six years from memory. Um, and he couldn't have been a better person to represent the brand. Um, he was wonderfully controlled through the forest, although he stuck it in a river once and he had the odd accident, but very, very few and far between. And he did us a great job. But as I say, I think running it was aspirational to to the others who were doing the straightforward Peugeot Challenge. Um, just something to for them to look at for the future, I think. Uh, and one or two people did go Super sixteen hundred as time went on themselves, but uh, but uh, yeah, we could have done without it. But uh, with Justin in it, it gave us a great uh, a great presentation again for the brand. Great stuff. If if I could give Mick Linford a, a magic wand now, and looking at where we are in terms of rallying now. What would you do in order to kind of put to give youngsters, I suppose, something now? Because it's almost like we're we're sending youngsters, in my honest opinion, to the, the the bypassing and going straight to junior world championship or whatever, and they're, they're far from ready. And and you know we're we're probably not always getting you know the fastest drivers going to do the European juniors or the junior world rally championship, but they just don't feel like there's a a structure here to, to prove themselves. Is, is 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 there something you've got in your mind, Mick, from all your years of experience that perhaps we could bring back or or, or maybe uh, forward thinking now? To me, without any question at all. It needs another Peugeot challenge. Well, not necessarily Peugeot, the manufacturer. It needs another one-mate challenge, but not sort of towing the water where there's 10 or 15 cars out like there has been with some of the other championships. It needs a, a major commitment from a manufacturer. And let's get 50 cars out there with run run just as strictly as we did so that we know it's going to be the best drivers and, and affordable. Um, we... We uh, had, I forget which one it was, whether it was the 206 or 106, I can't remember. But we actually had the cars manufactured uh, at Wrighton on the production line in the UK to a spec that I said without any of the sound deadening and lots of things missed off that you don't need. Uh, so there was made to a budget and then we offered that brand new car um, with a complete kit of parts up to the appropriate specification now, we had already sealed gearboxes and things like that before they went out. And people, that's the ones where we had, I think, 63 out on one event. And all of those cars, I'm sure Ryan will probably remember, we took them and we, uh, the Autosport International, we took over one of the areas of the halls and we had all the cars there for the drivers to come and collect them from there. Uh, and we had a day's training there as well, classroom training. And uh, and the people who had registered who were able to, they came and drove their cars away from there. But the main thing was, it was, I can't remember the amount now, it was, if I was guessing, it was sort of 20 grand. But it was for a brand new car. It was for a complete kit of parts with all the modifications, uh, the roll case, the seats, everything in there. And that's what it needs now so that people haven't got to, what shall I do here? What shall I do there? All the decisions have been made for you. There's the package. All you need to do is put it together and drive it um, without any of the worries about how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, but I just can't see any manufacturer being prepared to do that. And the things have moved on in different ways and just they've got no, got no interest in it. And I guess, unfortunately, also manufacturers in this country are, are struggling again a, a little bit, aren't they, in comparison to what they maybe were at the time? Yeah, they are. I still get involved with some dealerships, some manufacturers on the training side, and that, as you do yourself, Ryan. And, and we both see how much tighter everything is. Everything's being squeezed for the dealers. You know, they're having to work their butts off to uh, to get any sort of return out of it. And, and there's just no spare money. There's no spare money. And I think it it would have to be probably, if ever it could happen, a private individual who was a multimillionaire who was passionate about this sort of thing to go to a manufacturer and say, I'll pay for it for the next five years. And I think that's the only way anything could ever happen because I don't believe any manufacturer would be prepared to commit to it or have the passion to do it. 
Uh, now, Mick, just before you, you go, you're on about uh, squeezing things and extracting the maximum. Uh, as a man known for going quickly, I can't let you go without uh, telling us a couple of stories about going slowly. Uh, because more recently, you've, you've been known for doing 40 miles an hour on the M1. Now, um, do you want to just explain yourself? Well, first of all, that was I wouldn't be doing 40 miles an hour on the M1. But uh, embarrassingly, with all my motorsport background for my whole working life, I'm the e- I'm known as an eco specialist. <laughs> There's a thing each year called the MPG Marathon, and uh, for four years I've won it outright with uh, for Mercedes in a smart car. Uh, I won it outright for Peugeot in a 206, and I came second for Kia in a, a Rio. Uh, and your lovely wife. Uh, sat in the passenger seat for me and guided me around uh, on a couple of those. And, uh, yeah, it's a challenge where it's mainly manufacturer entries and magazine entries. There's usually about 40 cars in it, uh, two-day event over about 400 miles. Cars go to the organisers the week in advance so they can check to make sure you haven't been fiddling anything or cheating anything to make sure they're standard. They seal everything up. You leave a venue at two minute intervals and uh, you drive sort of about 200 miles the first day, seeded. The second day they reverse the seeding so it uh, it levels out as far as traffic is uh, traffic holdups are concerned. And, and yeah, and they measure it very accurately at the end to see who's got the best MPG. And you, and you got over 100 miles to the gallon, didn't you? Yeah, in the Peugeot, over the 400 miles, 104.5, so I think it was. It, it proves all these figures on all these cars. <laughs> they're, they're not always telling lies. No, it's achievable, but I used to get so many people say, how do you get there? How do you get that mileage per gallon? And I used to say to them, first of all, you don't want to do it. It will drive you mad. Because like, when you pull away from traffic lights, the car's behind nearly running the back of you. Uh, and and of all the impatient people I know, it must have driven <laughs> you mad. Yeah, but the thing is, people say that to me, but you've got to remember, it was a competition and there was 39 <laughs> other cars to beat. That made very, very determined. And when one that went down into, went right down south in Cornwall and that, I shall always remember people towing caravans, flashing their lights at me to get out of the way, because I was in their way. But uh, no, it's, uh, some of the guys doing it were very anal. Very anal, and I sure remember on the smart car when we did it, a guy came up to me halfway through and said, how are you getting on? I said, yeah, yeah, fine. He said, so what are you getting? You know, what's, what are your dials saying? No, I don't know. He said, no, come on. He said, I'll tell you what I'm getting, and you tell me what you're getting. I said, I haven't got any dials, fuel computers. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I haven't got any fuel computers. I said, I don't look at them anyway. I said, it it's seat of the pants it's it's not looking at a dial it's it's feel it's all about feel and he walked away shaking his head and couldn't understand it because i hadn't got a computer but even in later years when i drove cars like the persia where they got a fuel computer it was it did you no good looking at it it's it did your brain in i switched it off and and i'm sure you can appreciate very much so both of you that it's how it feels. It's how it sounds. It's nothing to do with looking at a dial. If you have to look at a dial, you're the wrong man for the job. And not only that, an element of competition. I think I think you, <laughs> I think you summed it up there. You've got to have the competition, or else we'd not yeah, do it. But yeah, but uh, been great having you, uh, Mick, and uh, and thanks for uh, sharing your stories. We'll we'll get you back on probably to uh, to share some more in the future. So thanks for joining us. Well, Matt, look forward to it. Thanks very much, both of you. I hope to Mick. see you soon. It's been fantastic. We definitely will get you again soon. Uh, folks, I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back same time, same place, Elia Podcast Hall next week. Absolute Rally. Powered by the Kielder Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.